Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Mike McGowan. Good morning. So glad to see you here today. Um, it's good to be back. I've been off for a few weeks, but it's nice to kind of be back with you here on stage today. Today we're wrapping up our message series called Seriously, where we're looking at some of the oxymorons that Jesus teaches in the Bible. And um, you know, I mean, you know what an oxymoron is, right? I mean, it's two words that are opposite one another, but yet they appear, appear in conjunction together. Like, let me give you a few examples. Um, uh, for instance, um, doing nothing, right? That's a good one. Uh, how about this one? Reality TV. <laughs> yeah, because if, if you believe it's real, like, seriously, come on. Uh, <laughs> government organization. <laughs> All right, how about this one? Microsoft works. <laughs> or Now this one, it's a little close to home. A good, long sermon. <laughs> right? Those are all oxymorons. And, look, and teachers, teachers use oxymorons a lot of times to illustrate uh, really important pieces of knowledge. And, and one of the greatest teachers of all time regularly used oxymorons. And, you know, and of course, I'm talking about Mr. Miyagi from the Karate Kid. Uh, you thought somebody else, right? Well, we'll get to him in a minute, okay? But remember, if you saw even the original movie, Karate Kid, or whether you saw the remake, you remember when Mr. Miyagi uh, gets Daniel and he's going to start his training. He starts his training with an oxymoron. He shows Daniel a whole line of cars, and he says this, right? He says what? Wax on, wax off. And that is the beginning of Daniel's training to eventually defeat the Cobra Kai's, Right? Now, Jesus used oxymorons a lot as well. He used them in his teachings to illustrate really important points. And the reason Jesus used oxymorons is because he knew something that you and I have always suspected is true. That if we don't grab hold of the spiritual truths of these oxymorons, that we will miss out on some of the greatest aspects of the Christian life. For instance, we will, never, we will never fully understand God's power until we experience the oxymoron of, it's when I'm weak that I'm strong. We will never know the full joy of our salvation until we understand the oxymoron that says, in order to save my life, I must lose it. We will never experience the, the freedom from performing to the pressures of the people around us until we practice the oxymoron of the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And, uh, and we've, we've talked about all these oxymorons in this series, so if you miss any of it, go back, watch it on our church app, and, and you'll see what God's talking about here. Which, all that brings us to our message today, as we wrap up this message called, series called, this series called Seriously, because today, we're going to look at Jesus himself. Because Jesus, he was a walking oxymoron. For instance, like, do you remember um, what the Magi said about Jesus, or asked about Jesus when he was first born in Bethlehem? They asked, where is the one born king of the Jews? Now, no, like, that doesn't sound really 
very oxymoron-like, does it? And, and, and the truth is, it's actually not in and of itself. But when you compare the idea of king of the Jews to how Jesus lived, it becomes an oxymoron. Because you need to understand that you know, being called king of the Jews, like, that had massive spiritual as well as political implications. Because the Jews expected their, you know, their king of the Jews, their Messiah, to be the one that was going to rise to power, overthrow the Romans, and restore Israel to its glory. Like, that was their expectation. And so, and it was prophesied that the Messiah, the, the king of the Jews, would sit on the throne of David, that, and he would rescue God's people from anyone who would ever oppress them. And so, for them, like, being born, you know, king of the Jews, like, that was a huge, huge deal. Like, that was a really big deal. But, let me ask this. Did Jesus live a life of royalty? No. Remember, he was born and placed in a manger, in a cattle trough. He was born into a really poor family. And when he got older and when he taught, there were many times that he was ridiculed, persecuted. Several times he was even run out of town. Okay? Not the image of a king like we think of, right? But he was a king nonetheless. He was still king. And, and that's what makes Jesus an oxymoron. Like, he was a king, but not in the way that we would expect. Because look, Jesus didn't come to live in a palace and reign from a golden throne. Jesus came to live in the lives of his followers and sit on the throne of our hearts. That's the kind of king that Jesus is. He's a spiritual king. He's not a military king. And look, and that, that's just what the, that's what the first century religious leaders like. They just could not understand. I mean, it just blew their minds. They couldn't wrap their little minds around who Jesus really was. And that fits really well into today's message because look, today's Palm Sunday. Today is the Sunday before Easter. And I want you to look at what the Bible says about Jesus on Palm Sunday. And this is the Sunday where Jesus would ride into Jerusalem the week before he was crucified. And as he comes to Jerusalem, I want you to look at what happens. So go ahead and pull out your message notes, or if you want to pull out your paper Bible and follow on, that's great. Or if you want to follow in the Bible on your phone, that's fine too. But look what the Bible says in Matthew 21, beginning in verse 6. It says this, the disciples went and did what Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So get this. When Jesus enters Jerusalem, he's greeted as a king. And he's greeted in the way that you and I would think of he should be greeted as a king. I mean, it's with a lavish parade, and people are laying their coats on the ground, their cloaks on the ground, even palm branches on the ground, because the animal that he was riding on was, was too noble to even touch the dirt. That's why Palm Sunday is so important. <laughs> and they all expected 
that this was the week that Jesus was going to ride into Jerusalem, ascend to the throne, and save them all. And you know what? They were right. But it didn't happen the way that they expected, did it? And so that brings us to today's oxymoron. I want you to write this down somewhere. Today's oxymoron is just simply this, is that Jesus is a servant king. He's not just a king. He's a servant king. Now that is an oxymoron. And and honestly, if you told the people on that Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago that Jesus wasn't a king like the thing, that he was a servant king, they'd have looked at you and said, seriously? Really? That's what would have been the response. But Jesus was a king, but he was a servant first, even to the point of giving his life. In fact, Jesus would give his life by being crucified just five days later. Okay, so how does all this affect us? How how does it affect me? What is it about this that changes my life and comes to play in my life? How does Jesus want me to live if he is a servant king? Well, a couple ways we're going to talk about today. Here's the first way. Write this down. It's that I am to be a generous servant. If Jesus is a servant king, then I need to be a generous servant. And, now, and here's, honestly, here's one of Jesus' teachings that should have been a, a dead giveaway that he was going to be a different kind of king, right? In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says about himself, says, For even the Son of Man, that's a euphemism for the King of Jews or the Messiah, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. I want you to circle the word serve. But to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Circle the word give. And I want to talk about these two words we circle. In fact, let's talk about the second word first. Let's talk about the word give. Because to follow Jesus, I need to not just be a servant, but I need to be a generous servant. I'm supposed to give. Now look, we're not talking about money here. This verse isn't talking about money. Now, it is important that I need to give my money to God. Because look, look, let's just be honest. That's how churches run. Like churches have to have money to even function. But even more importantly, it's important to give because according to the Bible, giving is the only antidote to materialism. There is no other way to overcome other than to give. So it's important that you and I give. But this verse isn't talking about money. When it talks about giving, it's talking about giving your life. Because look what it says. It says, Jesus came to, uh, and, and he came and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to give his life. And that is, uh, if we miss that, then we miss out on what Jesus is saying. Uh, now what does it mean? That he gave it as a ransom, okay? A ransom is a payment demanded for the release of someone else. It's a payment demanded for the release of someone else. So if Jesus gives his life as a ransom, who did he give it for? For you and for me. He gave his life to ransom us. Because look, Unforgiven sin separates us from God. It creates a barrier between us and God. 
And when Jesus died, his death paid the ransom for you and for me. So he could provide forgiveness so we could have a relationship with God while we're on this earth and then we could go to heaven whenever we die. Now get this, Jesus, he lived a perfect life. He never sinned, so he didn't need anybody to ransom his life. He alone, because he lived a sinless life, is able to give his life as a ransom for us. Because look, sin has to have a consequence. And Jesus paid the consequence that you and I deserved when he died on a cross. He paid it for us. He ransomed us with his life. So instead of my life being given as payment for my sins, his life was given as payment for my sins and for yours. Now, get this. In order for sins to be forgiven, just because the ransom has been paid does not mean that your sins are excused. Doesn't mean that your sins are forgiven. Because look, according to the Bible, in order for sins to be forgiven, you must believe and receive. Because look, it's not enough just to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Even the devil believes that. I mean, the devil believes that. So what is it that separates us from the enemy, from the devil? It's that we receive Jesus into our lives and we receive his forgiveness and now he sits on the throne of our hearts to reign as our personal king and to guide our lives that's what it means so look let me just say this if you have never asked jesus if you've never received jesus in your life you might have believed he's the son of god you might have believed he died on the cross i'm glad for that but it's not enough you have to believe and receive. So if you've never received Jesus into your life and asked him to sit on the throne of your heart, you can do that today. There's a prayer. It's in your message notes. Take a second. I want you to pray that prayer right now because that's why Jesus came. He came to give his life for you. He came to give his life for you. Now, according to the Bible, there's a second reason that he came. And remember, we read it earlier and we circled it. He also came not to be served, but to serve. So let's talk about the serving part for just a second. When it talks about Jesus serving, we need to understand, Jesus, he, he, when he looked at other people, he looked through the lens of not what they could do for him, but what he could do for them. And so when we look at other people, we need to look at them through that same lens. We need to look at them through the lens of not what they can do for us, but what is it that we can do for them? Let me illustrate this point from Jesus' life. In John chapter 13, verse 5, we're going to read it in just a second. Um, it's a perfect illustration of how Jesus served. And let me set the context for you before we read it. This occurs, this event occurs the night before Jesus is crucified. He's with his 12 disciples. They're in a place called the upper room. And they're sharing one last meal together. And so this is the perfect time for Jesus, who is about to be, you know, the king, who, who is a king. It's a perfect time for his disciples to serve him. But that's not what happens. In fact, the very opposite happens. 
Jesus serves them. Look what he does. In John chapter 13, verse 5. It says, after that, that's after the meal, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So Jesus, after the meal, like he gets up, and the disciples don't know what he's going to do. He goes, he pours water in a a basin, and then he begins to wash like they're nasty, dirty, smelly, cruddy, toe-jammed, ugly feet. Like that's what he does. And look, there's 12 guys, okay? Out of 12 of them, you know somebody's got a funky toe. Like there's 120 toes right there. One of them's gone bad somewhere in there, right? You know that. Just the odds are there. And so look, do you think that Jesus was excited about that part of it? Do you think he was excited about washing the feet? No, he wasn't excited about that any more than you would have been. But here's what he was excited about. He was excited about the fact that he got to serve the disciples. He got to serve them. Because he wanted them to know that just like he was serving them, He wanted them to serve other people. And now he's asking us to serve other people too. And by what Jesus did, Jesus was saying that he was willing to get his hands dirty to serve others. And he wants us to be willing to do the same thing, to serve other people. Because Jesus is our servant king. So what does that mean? It means that Jesus expects you to serve the people at your office. He expects you to serve the people that are the highest above you, and he, and he wants you to serve the people at the lowest level below you. Students, he wants you to serve your classmates, your teachers, your coaches. He wants you to serve your brother. He wants you to serve your sister. He wants you to serve your parents. He even wants you to serve the person that you know in ahead of time is going to take advantage of you. I mean, think about it. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he washed all of their feet, including Judas, who he knew in advance was going to betray him. So just because someone's going to take advantage of you, just because someone's going to to betray you, does not excuse you from serving them. He expects you to serve him anyway. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And he is a servant king. And we are to be generous servants like him. Oh, that's huge. Now, there's a second really big thing we get from uh, Jesus being a servant king. That's number two, and I want you to write this down. Is that I have to actively reach out to those who are far from God. I've got to actively reach out to those who are far from God. That's what he wants me to do. I want you to look at what Jesus says about himself. And he he says this early on uh, in his ministry. In Mark chapter 2, verse 17, it says, On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I want you to circle the two words, to call. Jesus did not wait for unrighteous people to come to him. He called out to them. He reached out to unrighteous people. I mean, have you ever heard of a king reaching out to people who were the needy ones and the unrighteous ones? No. 
but a servant king does. And that's what Jesus did. Look, one of Jesus' 12 disciples was a guy named Matthew. He was a tax collector, and tax collectors were hated, hated by everybody in the community. In Luke 19, Jesus intentionally spends time with a man named Zacchaeus, who was, who was a guy who swindled literally everybody in the town. In Luke 15, Jesus is ridiculed for, as a, ridiculed for spending time with people who were known to be sinners. In John chapter 8, Jesus rescues a woman who was accused of adultery and prevents her from being stoned to death. You know, bottom line, Jesus actively sought out people who were in need. And so get this, reaching out to people who are far from God, like that just needs to be part of who we are as Christ followers. That, that just needs to be part of our makeup as followers of Jesus because it was part of Jesus' makeup. He didn't reach out to people because they were righteous. He reached out to them because they were unrighteous. He didn't reach out to them because like, they needed a doctor. He reached out to them because they needed a savior. That's why Jesus reached them. And that's what we need to do too. And the, honestly, the easiest way to do that is to invite people to come to church so they can hear about Jesus Christ. Well, look, think about your, think about your own life. At some point in time in your life, someone invited you. They either invited you to church so you could hear about Jesus, or they just told you about Jesus directly. And honestly, maybe both. But someone reached out to you at some point in time in your past. And if you're a Christ follower, aren't you glad they did? I mean, aren't you glad that they didn't get intimidated, they didn't shy away from it? And so you know what? Neither should we. Neither should we. We ought to reach out to people. And look, think about this. The reason that some people who are far from God, the reason that they are in your life at all is because God put them there so you would reach out to them. For some of those people, you are the very best person to reach out to them. And that might be the whole reason God put them in your life was so that you could reach out to them. Now, I've got good news for you. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. It is the one Sunday of the year that more people are more open to your invitation to come to church than any other single time of the year. In fact, more people will attend church on Easter than any other Sunday in the entire year, and it's not even close. More people attend church on Easter than even on Christmas Eve. And so it's the perfect time for you to reach out, and just like Jesus did, and call them to come to church and invite them to come to be a part. Now, to make it easier, we have come up with several ways to make it easier for you. I want you to write these down. Here's the first way that you can actively call out for people to come to church on Easter. Here's the first thing I want you to do. I want you to egg three houses. That's right. I want you to egg three houses. Now, not in the delinquent sort of way that you have thought of, and you know, you can confess your sin later, okay? But... Which, and we did this last year for the first time, and it was really a big success. So what, outside, in the foyer, there are these little brown bags. And inside each brown bag are 24 empty Easter eggs. And there are three of these little invite cards that you fold in half, you know, to make a little tent. So what we want you to do is we want you to fill these eggs with candy. And look, and fill them with good candy, okay? Like... Don't go get that old stale Halloween candy like that's left over in your pantry. Like, throw that away, okay? And, guys, like, don't go to the bathroom and jack all our mints. Like, don't do that. My like, kids don't want those. 
So get some good candy, fill up the, all 24 eggs, and then I want you to pick three houses. And you're, and you're on your street that, of people you know don't go to church, or if you don't know they go to church at all, just go to those three. And what I want you to do, put all 24 Easter eggs and just fill them up. You can lay them on their porch, or you can just lay them like on the ground like near the porch. Don't like make them hard to find, okay? Make it obvious, okay? And then you put this little tent on their porch, and it says this, is you've been egged by a neighbor. So come to Parkway Fellowship on Easter to find more eggs and the true meaning of Easter. Amen. Do that to three houses, okay? Now, last year, um, I mean, me and my kids, like, we did this, and we had a great time. In fact, I, I think we took, like, four or five bags. Like, we did a whole bunch of houses, and it was great. We had a good time doing it. And you don't have to do it, like, in the middle of the night. You don't have to be all, like, clandestine about it, okay? <laughs> you can just do it and during the day. This is not like a secret holy mission, all right? But just go, so go do it this afternoon, or go do it tomorrow. But do it either today or tomorrow, and egg three houses. Okay, all right. Here's the next thing. Next thing you do. Number two is this. I want you to use five invite cards. There's a stack of five invite cards in your chair. I want you to hand those out to neighbors, to coworkers, to the, you know, person at Sonic when you order your drink or whatever it is you do. Hand them to whoever, but invite people to come and look. When you invite them, be nice about it. Don't make it appear like like they're God's next ministry project and that if they would only grow up to be like you, then they could be, you know, no, 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 that's that's not how you want it. You want to invite them to come because look, we're all in process. All of us are in need to be shaped and reshaped by God. But that process can't happen if you don't invite them to come. So use all five invite cards and use them this week to invite them to come, all right? Number three is this. I, know, I want you to pray for God to move powerfully in nine services. We're gonna have nine Easter services. We've got three at our North Campus. We'll have six here at the West Park Campus. We have two services on Saturday. We'll have a sunrise service on Sunday, and then three more services at our regular time. So we'll have nine services. Now look, do, do me a favor and do people a favor as well. There's going to be a lot of first-time guests that come on Easter Sunday or on Easter weekend. So if, if you can, if you're not serving one of the you know, uh, uh, last three services, come to one of the first three. Come to one of the first three, either the two, Sunday, two Saturday night or the sunrise service on Sunday morning. Come to one of those so that it will create space so you can you know, uh, create a seat for someone who maybe will come to church for the very first time. So would you do that, please? Make space for those people by coming to one of the first three services, if you can. But look, more, more importantly than that, this week, would you pray every day for God to move powerfully in all nine services? Because look, it doesn't matter the condition of their heart when they come. What matters is the condition of their heart when they leave. So would you pray and ask God, to open their heart so that they would be ready to receive the love and the truth about his son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for them. Would you do that? My prayer is that God would use Easter weekend to change the lives of thousands of people. My prayer is that God would use all nine services on Easter to change the course of thousands of families who will come. 
My prayer is that God would use Easter weekend so that thousands of people would discover the love that God has for them, that he's always loved them, and that Jesus longs to lead their lives, not as a judgmental person, but lead them as a servant king, just like he leads us. Should bow your head, close your eyes, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, that you did not send your son to condemn us, but instead you sent him to set us free. That he came as a servant king. And so you would help us to be generous servants, and you would use us to reach out to people who are far from you that will come next weekend for the, maybe for the first time in their whole lives they come to church. And so I ask that you would use us to reach them. We love you, Father. We love you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for today. And we ask this in the name of the one who died and rose for all. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.